We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by Publishers Clearinghouse, the leading media and commerce company serving America's heartland. So today joining us is Ebony Britt. We're excited that Ebony's with us. Ebony is the Executive Director of Strategic Communications and Initiatives at Syracuse University. Let's jump in and get to know Ebony. Ebony, welcome. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. We're thrilled to have you here. We can't wait to learn about everything that's going on at Syracuse these days and especially what you're working on. But first, tell the audience a little bit about you. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your family. Okay. So I was born in Philadelphia and lived in Philly until the age of three. And at that point, my mother took somewhat of a sabbatical and we went on a religious trek and lived in Israel for a year. After returning from Israel, moved back to Philly. And then at the age of six, my mom actually had a friend in Israel who referred her to Colorado Springs, Colorado and said it was just like an amazing place to raise children. And Mm. we lived in Southwest Philly, which was kind of rough. And we come back and I'm outside. I can remember skating down the street and somebody started shooting down the street. And I tried to get into our house. The door was locked. It was, you know, quite scary. And I remember that day, my mom saying like, we are out of here. And that next summer, my mom packed up a, she was in the military, she was in the Air Force, had a um, brown duffel bag, military issue. We got on a trailways bus mm. and we moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And my mom didn't have a job. She didn't have any friends there at the time. We didn't have a place to live at the time. And that is how I began my, my time in Colorado. So, you know, it took probably about a year until we were able to start to begin to get established. But Colorado was where I ended up living and growing up my, my entire life after, after moving there at six. And then in Colorado, I met my now ex-husband, but at the time I met uh, what would be my husband there. And then he's from Syracuse. And now that's how I ended up in Syracuse. Amazing. Philly, Israel, Colorado. Tell us about how you think that impacted who you are today and your identity. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my mom was dope, right? So she was like the most courageous person in some ways that I've ever met. And I think what it probably instilled in me was an insatiable love of travel, a real need to get to know and understand others, a real true lack of of fear in a variety of ways probably like an unbelievable spirit of perseverance, right? So I don't really remember Philly that well. Like Colorado shaped me tremendously as as a person. And part of it, I think, was just the natural environment, but also my mom really being specific about introducing me to a wide variety of things and experiences. But yeah, I'm certainly Philly and... Israel even. I, I, I was three I was in Israel and I still have memories from Israel. Like my earliest memories are being in the middle of a merchant's villa in Israel. At, at some point, I can remember the kibbutz that we lived in. So 
certainly they all had impact on the type of human that I am. Amazing. I want to come back to that and the impact and the influences and things like that. But tell us a a little bit about what you're doing at Syracuse today and tell us about uh, what you're leading there. So I am in the Office of Diversity Inclusion, and I've been blessed to be able to take my expertise in marketing and communications field and apply it specifically to the tremendous work that the Office of Diversity Inclusion is tasked with at Syracuse University over the last year. So actually coming up this month, last year, we had some uh, powerful student protests that occurred in the fall of last year, as well as in the spring of this year. And, you know, our students at that point last year were bringing issues to our campus that the entire world is now talking about, right? So while certainly you don't want students to ever feel that they have to protest about anything, I personally am tremendously grateful for the fact that they really got us focused on some topics that needed to be discussed. And again, like I said, topics that didn't need to be discussed just on campus, but discussed worldwide. And our office is tasked with not only addressing and helping to manage the implementation of some of the work that has come forth directly from those protests, we also are tasked with developing the whole strategic diversity direction and plan for the university, which is is quite a task. I'm not sure, you know, if, if you're not familiar with how higher education landscapes work, it tends to be highly decentralized. So bringing all of that work under one umbrella and providing direction to the many schools, colleges, and units that are on Syracuse University is quite a, quite a large task. And then in the middle of that, of course, is, is communicating, you know, the, all the complexities and nuances associated with equity, diversity, accessibility, and inclusion and educating people um, in order for them to be advocates and for them to be accountable in the work that they're doing in the classroom and on campus and in the community as well. So, Ebony, I do have a, a one quick follow-up question to that. So, when you talk about the initiatives of diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus, I just want to be clear. We're talking about faculty, students, sports teams, any and everything that is Syracuse University? Absolutely. Campus-wide, faculty, students, staff. Wow. <laughs> right. <Man. laughs> All right. Like, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> It is a lot. Syracuse University had 15,000 students, you know, um, that was last year's stat. So when you add on staff and faculty onto that, so there are a lot of people that can be and should be touched by this work. Now, how do you manage and go about prioritizing that, right? Because one of the things that we talk about, Eric and I, in our industry, which is, you know, advertising technology and marketing technology, when we talk about different diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, We talk about the impact long-term and and not trying to boil the ocean all at once, if you will, Mm -hmm. and taking steps. And so I'm curious, you know, is that the sort of same approach that that you're trying to implement across the university? Yeah, I spoke to it a little bit because the way that we break it down is is that you have to give it to people in somewhat bite sizes, right? So build their awareness, right? Um, There's so many people that just don't understand what 
anti-blackness is, right? Don't understand what ableism is, right? Don't understand some of the cultural challenges that Chinese students who are coming to the United States for the first time to sit in the classroom, the interaction that that happens between them and a faculty member in the class. So, you know, giving people bite-sized nuggets of information, digestible chunks to get them to a point that they're able to be advocates for equity, diversity, accessibility, and inclusion on campus. And then from there, you know, helping them to be accountable themselves and hold others accountable. So absolutely, we can't do it all at once. Like there's no way we would be able to just come in and say, these are the measures that you need to be held accountable for. We got to start a lot further back than that. Right, definitely. And looking at your career journey, you definitely have a, a background in marketing. Would love for you to, you know, maybe go through your career journey up until this point. And, and how has that background in marketing, how is that helping you in your, your strategic communications role today? Okay, I'm going to show my age a little bit. So do y'all remember um, the movie Dumb and Dumber? Yes. Remember Dumb and Dumber? And remember when they showed the map of them coming and their trek to Colorado and it was like they can't they start I can't remember where they started, but they went down. Is that when they were on the moped and they were freezing? Well, yeah, but it showed like how cop <laughs> yes, yes, their fitness and the snot was frozen and everything. But it showed like how how convoluted their path was to get to Colorado. <laughs> like they came from like Boston, went to like Mississippi and went back over and over. That's kind of how my path initially was getting to market. It was not necessarily like a straight, a straight path. And even now it's still I still get surprised about the direction that my career has taken. But I had like a communications degree, kind of a real generalized communications degree from Regis University, a private Jesuit school out in um, Colorado. And, you know, wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do with the work and moved to Syracuse, bounced around a little bit, ended up at the university and the human resources department. And no, not to human resources whatsoever, but that was really able to help me understand what I didn't want to do. Human resources is all about following the rules and setting the rules. And I'm not necessarily a rule follower, so I always found it difficult to be in that space. And, you know, one of the greatest benefits of working at Syracuse University is the tuition benefit. So I was able to obtain my master's in public relations, left the university, and then started immediately doing work in advertising agencies on the account management side. So I did that for a couple of years and I started that part of my career a bit later in life. I was married at the time and had young kids. And when you're starting agency work, I, I didn't necessarily have the stamina for, for the, the type of work that was required with, the, with a, a young family at home. So, you know, client side became um, pretty, pretty appealing to me. And I quickly moved client side and was leading some marketing efforts for a local benefits administrator, kind of like a health insurance company. Mm. I did work at Kodak, you know, international global brand, and ended up back at the university through some, I was doing some adjunct teaching, identify an opportunity to come back to the university as they were building out their new communications team. So like I said, it hasn't, the, the, the opportunity to work in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion came up somewhat unexpectedly. I was asked to sit in a special assignment and was able to come over there and be asked to stay there permanently. So things have worked out really well, but not necessarily like a straight line to, to on the path. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I hear you. And, and very small world. I have my MBA from Regis University. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> That's so crazy. 
<laughs> this is how you find each other on the podcast. There, there it is. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just so crazy. Yes. So. What excites you about the role that you're in and, and the future of DNI at Syracuse? I think the thing that excites me the most about DNI, generally speaking, is the fact that that industry carved out in the manner in which it is today will no longer exist. Like that's my hope. My hope is that one day we won't have to carve space out specifically to educate people on, you know, how it is to make equitable decisions and educate people on how it is to make everybody feel valued and welcome in the, in, in the space. So honestly, like that's the thing that excites me the most is that one day I might, we might actually do so well at our job that we, and I'm not just saying my job personally, but as an industry that we work ourselves out of it, right? That's the thing that probably excites me the most. No, Abedi, I have a question and I'm thinking about your life experiences. You know, I'm thinking about where you grew up and, and also the, the places you know, you've been afterwards. And so I want to talk a little bit about issues of discrimination. Often, you know, it's, it's difficult to sort of find a, a person or a, or a time where, you know, you don't have that experience when you're a person of color. Can you talk to us about what it's like to handle those issues as a woman, as a female, as a person? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I'm really glad that you mentioned the, the, the fact of me being a woman, because one of the things that we talk about a lot in our space is intersectionality, right? So not only am I dealing with issues of being a Black person in America, but then you layer being a, a woman on top of that. And so for me, I've experienced, I've had issues on both sides, right? I've had issues specifically associated with me being a woman. And I had issues specifically associated with me being a Black person. And I'm imagining that those cross, even though it wasn't necessarily obvious to me, but I'm imagining that the way that I was treated in some instances, I probably would have been treated as I was a white woman, right? Uh, treated differently if I was a white woman. In regard to discrimination, I would probably say I, I had some very overt instances of racism, right? Not necessarily uh discrimination in its traditional form, but just racism, yeah. um, you know, but I don't even want to necessarily give credence to those, right? I, I think the biggest issues that I felt with discrimination are those that, ha that have been really covert. So it's not the overt things that I think pick away at you, although they do as well, right? But the, it's the covert things because you're constantly mm -hmm. questioning yourself as to you know, is it really racism or is this really happening? And the best way that I could categorize the majority of the covert racism and discrimination I felt has, has been tied to, I think, an attempt to silence me as a Black woman. You know, I've been told that well, people are intimidated by you and, and you're too dynamic and people are afraid of you and you ask too many questions. You shouldn't ask as many questions. You don't have the right title for that, right? So... I, and again, I can't 100%. That's the, that's the issue with the covert racism is that you, you are not 100% sure. So it's constant like, is this what's really happening? But that is certainly that I faced throughout my career consistently. What are some ways that you found that were helpful to be able to overcome the situations? And how did you sort of learn to do that? You know? Um, so... 
Well, you know, when I was younger, I probably used to respond to absolutely everything. I've learned to really be a lot more thoughtful and intentional about things that I respond to. Because quite honestly, if you responded to everything, you would be responding to things all day long, right? So I've been a lot more mindful about that. And I'm really, I think, a lot more skilled in managing and protecting my energy. If something, I had a situation where I was dealing with some people that were a couple of seats up from me in the organization, and it was really draining me. And I felt that there were, you know, issues in regard to that kind of covert discrimination. And, you know, younger me would have just dealt with it and let it bother me and lose sleep at night and go to work and be stressed out. But me today, I told my direct boss, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to, to, to handle these interaction, interactions. You can handle these. I'll handle, handle the business side of things and you can handle the, the discussions that have to take place. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm a lot better at like preserving my energy. I don't know if you've read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel. Mm-hmm. That's like the key to all my successes right now because it really walks you through understanding how not to take things personally, you know, understanding how to think good thoughts to yourself and how to counter those negative thoughts that come in on a regular basis. Really focusing on doing your best every single day. And the, the fourth principle escapes me, it'll come to me later. But the ability not to take things personally has really, really, really helped me be able to address those situations in a really healthy way and not internalize them. We want to come back to what you're reading and what you're consuming to sort of handle things like that. But first, you know, I I want to talk about sort of mentors and people in your life, maybe not exactly mentors, but people people that, that have helped you along the way. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like, so there is a litany of people who have assisted me along the way. The people that stand out the most to me and I'm saying people because I can think right now in my head about three of them, right? Are ones who have, this is like so simple, but ones who have been really honest with me and who have done what they said that they were going to do. And that for me has made all of the difference in the world, has made all the difference in the world in regards to my career path. These are people who told me that they had something on the horizon for me and prepped me in order to make me be able to obtain it and open doors for me. People that I've had, you know, relatively long-term relationships with that over time, they've been saying, well, I'm going to do this for you, Ebony, and I'm going to do that for you, Ebony. And they actually have. And people who have been in some instances, you know, I don't want to say brutally honest, but really, really honest about some deficiencies that I had that was unbelievably beneficial to me and helped me to turn some things around in a really positive way in my career path. So those are the, the people, like I said, there's been a long list of people who reached their hands out to me, but those are the ones that stand out. Mm. Mm. Want to say their names? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll text them. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now, I'll come back to the, uh, you know, what are you reading? What are you reading in your personal time? What are you reading to stay informed in your industry? Any good diversity, equity, and inclusion content out there you're picking up? Just trying to understand how are you consuming content or what you're consuming? Yeah, like, so diversity and inclusion isn't, 
Well, and I, it's probably the case for everybody. So this is kind of silly to say, but it's not just what I do. It's something that I have like a genuine interest in. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the majority, the majority of the books that I read are about race. They're about like really heavy topics, right? Like I've read The New Jim Crow, White Fragility. There's an unbelievable book by Resma Menikim called um, My Grandmother's Hands that talks about internalized trauma and how it's transmitted, uh, how he believes that it's genetic, right? It goes into your DNA and what the outcomes are for specifically Blacks, whites, and police officers, which was really interesting. Hmm. I've got The Color of Law teed up, although I haven't started that yet. I'm like a quarter of the way through the 48 Laws of... I'm looking looking over here because it's screaming at me. (laughs) The 48 Laws of Power. But right now I'm reading All About Love by Bell Hooks. Okay. Which is phenomenal. It's very interesting because it's about love and who reads about love nowadays, right? Unless you read romance novels, which I never have, but it's really, really good. Very phenomenal. Wow. Wow. Okay. What advice would you give to anyone out there that's looking to get into communications or marketing or diversity and equity and inclusion? Wow. Oh, geez. Um, I, I had to shift because I was thinking about the diversity and inclusion side of things. So let me start there. Yeah. So I would say that you you need to prepare yourself to be exhausted mentally a lot. You have to prepare yourself that. And it's also a field that you need to be able to sustain yourself within, right? You have to make sure that you are really tending to your mental health, your spirituality, your emotional health, because it is unbelievably taxing and stressful. And like I said, it's something that I'm naturally interested in. So not only do I work in it, you know, I have kids, we talk about it all the time. I read books about it. All my, my social media feeds are about, so it's constant for me. And while I enjoy the information and, and enjoy, you know, even what's happening in this world today, I actually take enjoyment out of because things are moving forward. The things that have to happen for things to move forward are traumatic and devastating. So it requires a certain kind of spirit and tenacity. And then communications and marketing. So my daughter, my, my oldest daughter just graduated with her communications degree from University of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And she's, guess what, working in human resources right now, like my exact same path, right? And so what I was trying to tell her <laughs> before she went down my path is was you know, if you're if you're trying to determine between should I get a general communications degree or should I do something more specific, my advice is that you do the more specific thing because that will preserve you from having to go and, and be forced to obtain a master's degree. What I found is that if you did the general side of communications, you're forced to have to go and get some level of specificity in the field. Mm. Outside of that, much of what you can learn through marketing and communications is through through your job. Ours is in the field that necessarily requires an advanced degree. So that was one of the biggest things that I learned kind of the hard way through my career. And then of course, obviously, you know, keeping yourself educated on on the on the various trends. Probably the most important thing to me and my work and the most interesting part of it is is the research and really thoroughly understanding your target audience. Like it, if you really know your target audience and what their interests and their values are, what their needs are, and how your your product or service can fill that, that you can't fail to me in that. And, and many issues that you have with marketing where people mess up or where they're not meeting numbers or not accomplishing their goals, 
if they really had a thorough understanding of what the needs are of the target audience, I think all of that would be eradicated. Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. We, we spend so much time at my job, just trying to connect with our customers and make sure that we, that we really, really, really understand what they're thinking about, what they're going through, not only today, but what they could be thinking about from six months, nine months, 12 months from now. So totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. One fun question I love asking every guest we have on the podcast here, which okay. is... <laughs> <laughs> Don't get nervous. It'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Give me the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Okay. So this is so bad. Like my, my number one used app is Instagram. That's so bad. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you like the follow on Instagram. <laughs> oh, geez. The shade room. I'm <laughs> I love, I love the gossip. The celebrity gossip is one of my vices. I follow Sean King though. And um So do I. I mean, like, you know, I get I get a lot of the the work stuff to accomplish in Instagram as well, but it is kind of my vice and I follow like Fashion Nova, you know what I mean? Like, like some of the some of the things that you think are kind of kind of cheesy, but it's my get it's my getaway. All good. Okay, second app. This is bad too, but probably my second utilized app right now. So bad is Credit Karma. So a few years, not it's probably been about five or six years. I went through a divorce, and it really wrecked my finances and my credit score. And so I've been really laser focused on getting back on on track with that. And my credit score is so phenomenal right now. So like every time I get, I tell you what, anytime they send me any kind of notification, I'm in the app all the time, looking and seeing what's changed. So I use that a lot. And then the third thing, I would say probably Pandora because I listen to it every day when I work. So Pandora. All right. So photos, credit, score, and music. <laughs> Real life. Real life. <laughs> Let's say photos, finances, and music. That makes it sound There we go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ebony, how can our listeners find you and stay in touch with you? Often our listeners like to stay in touch and, and sort of get in touch. Sure. I'm on Facebook. My Instagram handle is Britty, B-R-I-T-T-E, Joy. I don't really use Twitter a lot, even though I'm on there. So that's probably not a great place to be to find me. And I am on LinkedIn, although, you know, like you guys said, I need to go in and update my title on there. But um, I am on LinkedIn as well. Thank you for joining us, Ebony. It's been a pleasure. And thanks again to our sponsor, Publishers Clearinghouse, the leading media and commerce company serving America's heartland for supporting this podcast. Find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcasts and look for the logo. Thanks.